So we are continuing in our series in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. And we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. This can be found on page 996 in your pew Bible. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. Hear now the eternal living Word of God. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So this year, as a high school teacher, I've entered my 20th year, and I've been assigned into a mentoring role for a first-year math teacher. And as is common with most first-year teachers, if not all first-year teachers, is he's having some classroom management issues. And we met a few times to discuss how his year's been going and what he needs to do, specifically for managing his classroom. And we've talked about certain qualities that make for good classroom management. One thing I told him he needs to do is have clear expectations for the classroom. He needs to let his students know what he expects of them, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable in his classroom. Another quality is a follow-up to that is he needs to be consistent. Once he has set the expectations, he must maintain them for every student each day. He can't allow a student to call out in class without raising their hand one day and then expect them not to do it the next day. Or he can't allow one student to talk over him while he's speaking and then tell another student they're not allowed to do that. And the third quality that I gave him was he needs to be assertive. Meaning, once he's set these clear expectations, in order to maintain consistency, a teacher must be assertive when a student violates these expectations. The teacher must confidently address the student behavior in order to maintain these expectations. And so these are some qualities that a teacher has to focus on to have successful classroom management. Now, in our series through 2 Timothy, guarding the gospel, Paul's been telling Timothy much of what he has to do 
in order to guard the gospel. Timothy has to be willing to suffer for the gospel. He has to be willing to communicate the whole of the gospel. He has to raise up the next generation of godly men to teach the gospel. He needs to remember the gospel, remember the elect, remember the faithfulness of God, all for the sake of enduring in his task of guarding the gospel. Last week, we studied chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. And there, Paul changes his focus to false teachers that were influencing the church in Ephesus where Timothy's the pastor. And he charged Timothy to combat the heresies that were influencing the church. And so Timothy, as the pastor, was to remind his people of the gospel and the truth about Jesus Christ. He was to charge the people before God not to quarrel about words. He was to rightly handle the word of truth and to avoid irreverent babble. And so now in our passage this morning, Paul continues to tell Timothy how he is to separate himself from the false teachers and what he needs to do to focus on in order to be a worker approved by God, set apart by God as his servant. And so in this passage, we get three qualities to focus on. Not only for pastoral ministry, three qualities to focus on in any Christian service of the Lord. The first is pursue godliness. Second, flee sinfulness. And the third, practice gentleness. So in continuing his charge to Timothy to distinguish himself from these false teachers, Paul uses the illustration of useful household tools. He begins in verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Paul's painting the picture of a house of a wealthy family. This would have been a large house, or as Paul puts it, a great house. And in this large house there would have been many vessels, containers, utensils. There would have been vessels of silver and gold. These would have been used for noble functions, like dining or entertaining other wealthy and elite families. But in that same house, there would have been vessels of ordinary use, buckets, jars, and cups that were made of wood and clay, some of which were designated for dishonorable use, like disposing garbage or human waste. And so this analogy represents the visible church. That is, the church that comprises all who claim to be or identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul's specifically speaking about two types of teachers within the church. There are honorable teachers, those that are chosen by God and set apart by God, teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, like Paul himself and the other apostles, or their disciples, like Timothy. But then there are false teachers teachers, dishonorable vessels in the house of the Lord, like Hymenaeus and Philetus, those that were mentioned in the last passage. Paul compared their teaching to an infectious disease. He said it would spread like gangrene and that it was upsetting the faith of some. And so this problem of false teachers was not only a problem in Ephesus and not only a problem 
in the first century. This problem has continued throughout church history, and it's a problem even today. The household of God has some honorable vessels, godly men who are called by God to teach and preach His Word and do so faithfully. And we could think of some famous examples, but most often these men faithfully love and teach and preach the Word and fulfill the role God has called them to without much recognition. But unfortunately, there are many examples in the church of Jesus Christ in the wider Christian community that claim the name of Christ but are dishonorable vessels, teaching falsehoods about Christ, a false gospel. And this includes many who fall because of immorality. Church leaders and pastors who live openly sinful lives and This is often an outgrowth of their faulty theology. And so Paul gives the conclusion or what we should do in light of this reality. In verse 21 he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And those called to be servants of the Lord should cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable. And this applies to false teachings, but not only. It's also about dishonorable living. Because God cares about our holiness, our character, who we are and what we do. And so this applies not only to pastors and elders and leadership, but for all Christians. All Christians are servants of the Lord. And so the first quality to focus on in Christian service is to pursue godliness. When people consider pastors and elders, leaders in the church, they often think about their giftedness. What are their talents and abilities? And these things are helpful. They're not completely unimportant. But in his first letter to Timothy, in chapter 3, Paul gives a list of the qualities of an overseer, an elder. And he says, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. So when you look closely at this list, it's almost all character traits. Besides the ability to teach, which is really the only skill or talent mentioned, these are all the result of godly character. And so we can see what is the result of God pursuing godliness in your life. Paul says, you will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, we all have different talents and abilities, and we're to use them in the service of the Lord. This is obviously not a bad thing in and of itself, but all the talent in the world used for service of God means nothing if you're living a dishonorable life. God sees the heart of the person. Now, we see the outer person. We see how good-looking they are, how talented they are, how charismatic they are, but God cares about your character to pursue godliness. We're to pursue a Christ-like character in our lives. 
Paul says to Timothy down in verse 22, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You are to pursue these things. And this is really just a short list of the fruit of the Spirit. In, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he gives the whole list. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this is the call of all who are called to Christ. These are the qualities you are to pursue in your life. Then you'll be more useful in the hands of a holy God. The more you grow in the fruit of the Spirit, the more you grow in godly character in your hearts and in your lives, the more God will use you in His kingdom. And this is the point that Paul is making. And this is what God clearly cares about in our lives. God cares about holiness, godliness, Christ-likeness. He cares about your living out the fruit of the Spirit. That you're living out your life with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He cares when you lose your temper. He cares when you're impatient. He cares when you're unloving, unkind, harsh. This is where your efforts and your focus should be. He'll take care of the accomplishments. Pursue godliness, and you will be a useful tool to God, ready for every good work. So there are things we are to pursue in godly living. Positive things to focus on. The fruit of the Spirit. As Paul says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But there's a flip side to this coin. There are things we are to remove from our lives. We are to avoid sinning. And because our nature is sinful, we're drawn to these things. Our desires are sinful. And so this has to be actively avoided. Paul said, if someone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he'll be useful to God. Then we see in verse 22, Paul commands Timothy, flee youthful passion. And so this gives us our second quality in Christian service, and it's really the opposite side of the first. We're to pursue godliness and flee sinfulness. And so those commands go together. And like the illustration I gave last week on healthy eating, you have certain healthy foods that you should focus on eating. You eat things like fruits and vegetables, protein and whatever, but you also have negative foods foods to avoid. Avoid junk food. This is a way we can focus on both these things, and it's the same here. You have to focus on the positive things. You have to focus on the fruit of the Spirit in pursuing godly character, but you also have to focus on fleeing sinfulness. It's putting off the old self and putting on the new self. They are twin sides of the same coin. And so when we consider this, pursuing godliness, fleeing sinfulness, we should be thinking of them together. And so now Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful passions is the exact words he used. And I want to note that this verse is often taken out of context, usually by well-meaning youth directors. They're telling their teenagers to flee lustful and greedy 
youthful passions and to pursue the things of God instead. While there is a biblical basis for that charge, that's not specifically what Paul is charging Timothy here. Youthful passions would include those things. And if Timothy is to pursue godliness and cleanse himself from what is dishonorable, he would be fleeing lust and greed. But Paul's command to Timothy, it comes in the midst of him exhorting him not to be like the false teachers. The false teachers who quarrel over words and speak irreverent babble. He goes on to say in verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. Then he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And so specifically, the useful passions that Timothy is to flee are impatience, harshness in tone, contentiousness, the urge to be right that causes arguments, the the urge to win arguments and because of pride at the sake of losing the person you're dealing with. So ultimately, there are sinful and ungodly acts that, that we are drawn to and that Timothy is to flee. Instead, he is to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So those who cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable, those who flee youthful passions, avoiding quarrels, fleeing from sinfulness, they're useful to God. You are to pursue godliness in your life. You are to be calm and gentle rather than lose your temper and be harsh. You're to be patient rather than impatient. You're to be loving rather than unloving. You're to sow peace rather than discord, avoiding arguments that disturb the peace and unity of the body of Christ. And this makes you useful to God. The qualities of Christian service, the qualities of someone who is a useful tool in the hands of God are pursuing godliness, pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. All the gifts and talents that you have are useless if you're living an ungodly life. The godly, useful person will be obedient to the will of God and will live in such a way that is attractive to others. The personality of someone living out the fruit of the Spirit is attractive. People now are offended when you point out their sin and their personal unholiness. But they like it when they interact with someone who is exhibiting godly character in their life. People don't sit around and say, I can't stand that guy. He's so patient, loving, and gentle. God uses those who are honorable and godly in their lives. And so when we're talking about all of this, this godliness, fleeing from sinfulness, the term we usually use to summarize this is sanctification. This is the process of our renewal into the image of God. We're we're enabled more and more to die to sin and live in righteousness. And so sanctification is of God's grace. God graciously works out our sanctification in us. The Holy Spirit works within us to make us more and more holy or set apart, to make us more and more like Christ each day. But we also have a responsibility in this process. We're called by God, to pursue holiness, righteousness, godliness in our own lives. But God is the one who gives us ultimately the power to do this. On our own, we would completely fail 
at this process. So he calls us to pursue godliness, to flee sinfulness, and then he empowers us with the ability to do it. But for all of us, that battle between the spirit and our flesh and our sinful nature wages our whole Christian lives. But we are to take an active part in this process. We have a duty to pursue the things of God in our lives and to flee from our sinful desires. And as we do this, we're becoming more and more holy and godly each day and we're becoming more and more useful to God. Because God's primary concern is about who we are. What we do comes out of that. Our Christian character comes first And then our actions in the kingdom of God come out of that Christian godly character. And so continue to pursue godliness and flee sinfulness in your lives so that you may be more useful tools in the hands of our holy God. Now Paul continues with his detailing of these qualities of Christian service. In verse 24 he writes, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So in contrast to youthful passions that make someone impatient, harsh, and quarrelsome, the Lord's servant is to be kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when enduring evil, and correcting his opponents with gentleness. And so this is primarily speaking to pastors because we see the ability to teach in here, which is right from the qualities of an overseer. But other than the ability to teach, this applies to all of God's people, every servant of the Lord. All Christians should be kind. Christ calls all of his people to be patient, especially when enduring evil. These things are much easier said than done. They are lofty goals. We see gentleness with those who oppose you. This is further exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Both patience and gentleness are listed here. But Paul is going beyond simply saying them in a general way. He's saying be patient when you're enduring evil. Be gentle when you're dealing with opponents. And these would be the most difficult time to do these things. And so this is our third quality in Christian service, is to practice gentleness. Now these instructions by Paul, to be kind to everyone, to patiently endure evil, to correct opponents with gentleness, they're an outpouring of Christian love. It's similar to the command Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he says, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is something that often is lacking in the church. We don't always see kindness to everyone. We don't see enough patience during evil. We definitely don't see gentleness in the correction of those who oppose us. And after Jesus gives this command, he gives the reason why. He says that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in He's saying that I know the people of the world don't do this. I know it goes against not only our culture, not only how the world tells us to respond to these things, but it goes against our sinful nature. 
Our natural reaction to our enemies isn't to love them. It isn't to treat them with kindness, gentleness, and patience. Our natural reaction to people persecuting us isn't to pray for them. But those who have been chosen by God, those who are children of God, will exhibit these things at least on some level. But fortunately for us, God doesn't simply command these things. He gives us the Holy Spirit to work in us, to bring these things about. Jesus goes on about loving your enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Most people love those who treat them with love. That's, that's no different than anyone else out there. But you are a child of God. You are to be different than the world. You are to love your enemies, not only the people who love you back. You're to be kind with everyone. You're to be patient, even when facing evil. You're to be gentle, even with those who oppose you. And this is what Paul's saying to Timothy to pastors, and also to all of you. Practice gentleness with everyone you deal with, even opposition. And not only opposition from the world. Timothy is facing opposition in the church. And even then, he's called to kindness, patience, and gentleness. And Paul gives a reason for this. He's saying be kind, patient, and gentle, even with your opponents, because... Starting in the middle of verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So one of the reasons that we are to love our enemies and be kind and patient and gentle with opposition is because they may be among the elect. First and foremost, we're to do it because we're commanded to do it. But also, God may use the extraordinary love of His people, your kindness to someone who is unkind, your patience in the face of someone sinning against you, your gentleness toward someone who is not gentle with you at all. This is an extraordinary kind of love, and God may use this to bring about repentance in your enemy. God may use this showing of the love of Christ through gentleness to someone who doesn't deserve it to bring that person to himself. So just because you're dealing with someone who clearly doesn't have a saving faith in that moment doesn't mean that God won't bring about a faith in them. So you are to show them nothing but kindness, patience, gentleness, and love, and God can and does use the love of Christians to change people's hearts. God can change anyone's heart whom he chooses, just like he did with you and I. So the call upon God's servants is not an easy task. Pursuing godliness, fleeing sinfulness, being loving and gentle, even with your enemies who hate you, to opponents who are harsh, this is all extremely difficult. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Who is sufficient for these things? And then he answered, We are not. But he went on to say, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, 
And so while all of us will fail at these things at times, we can remember that there is one who fulfilled them all, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate honorable vessel. He is holy, set apart for the special task of rescuing his people, rescuing all of you from your sins. He's the ultimate servant of the Lord. He's gentle and humble in heart. He is the perfect picture of godliness. He lived the perfectly righteous, sinless life that we could never live, and he died the suffering death that we deserved. Jesus is a suffering servant of the Lord, and he modeled how to love our enemies. He had to be gentle in dealing with those who oppose the Lord's work. The apostle Peter, Peter wrote, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And it's in Christ. It's through Christ that we can live out this demanding call of being the Lord's servants. So for each of you, continue to fight the good fight. Continue enduring the race until the end. Pursuing godliness. Pursuing growth in the Spirit. Pursuing Christ-likeness. And fleeing from sinfulness and the quarrels that come from it. Practicing gentleness even in the face of evil even with those who oppose you, because you all were once enemies of God. But he loved you enough, even as an enemy, he sent his son to die for you. And so now he gives you the power to live with the love of Christ in your heart, so that you may be an example of the power of his love by the way you're living your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you as your servants. We come before you humbly knowing that though, although we often fail at this, that you have not only forgiven us, you continue to empower us to live the holy, godly life you have called us to. Give us your spirit that we may continue to pursue godliness, to pursue the character and heart of Christ, to flee from the sinfulness and the desires of our heart, to practice gentleness, love, and kindness in the face of all sorts of opposition in this world, knowing that one day we will be fully glorified, fully sanctified with you in eternity. That the end of this will all be for all of us glory with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.